0: All right. The show um, I'm gonna ask you questions about today is called uh, "My Love from Another Star," and mm-hmm. it is a 2014 Korean drama. This is a very famous drama. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. And it stars uh, Ji Jun or Chun Ji Hyun, and she was in the film version of the the zombie TV show, like Kingdom. There were two seasons, and then the mm-hmm. final. The third one, instead of doing a season finale, they did a film similar to mm-hmm. um, Transparent, right? Mm-hmm. Like one hour musical. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she's in it. She's in it. Okay. And uh, she's beloved in all of Asia. So okay. uh, let's say that you're a really famous film star named mm-hmm. Chun song Yi. And you're super famous. Like everybody loves you. Everybody recognizes you. You get on the elevator, and a young man also gets on at the same time. And you assume that he followed you onto the elevator Mm -hmm. to get your autograph. So you Mm -hmm. tell him to buzz off. And turns out he's just your next door neighbor in the same building as you. And Mm -hmm. he says he has no idea who you are. And then, you know, you're like, I mean, don't you recognize me? And he's like, am I supposed to know who you are? What do you do?
1: Um, well, it's also kind of rude that this person doesn't recognize their neighbors. Like both of them don't recognize their neighbors. What's going on there? But I guess it's like,
0: moved in. she moved in like that day.
1: Oh, okay. Um, What do I do? I'm the actress. I'm the star. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Um, what do i do i uh um how hot is my neighbor slash potential stalker
0: he's really hot
1: okay um Very. i i i don't know i'll need some butter or salt randomly and be like hey neighbor i just moved in do you have a yeah. bottle opener yeah, yeah and yeah. then drop drop a titty or something i don't know that i i assume <laughs> that's how women flirt
0: that's Get how we all do it. Yeah, yeah. That's how all of us make children. <laughs> yeah. Without <laughs> that move, there would be no human beings. There's no
1: procreation. Yeah.
0: None. Yeah. None. Got to go to the neighbor, borrow some sugar, and drop a titty. Yes.
1: <laughs> Maybe That's two, if he's really Maybe hot. Both. Maybe yeah. both. Yeah.
0: If you're lucky, you got three. All right, you got a you got a <laughs> leg up if you have three titties to drop. Okay? Wow.
1: Well, I'll have both legs up if you have three titties. <laughs> that was dumb.
2: <laughs>
0: okay. 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 All right. Question number two. Let's say you're uh you're this man named To Minjun. Okay, you're that neighbor guy actually.
2: Mm-hmm. In,
0: in in reality, though, you're not a man at all. You're actually an alien, <laughs> that arrived from a, 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 you know, those flying saucer things, you arrived in Korea in the year 1601, mm-hmm. okay? You have mm-hmm. very sensitive hearing. Okay, move. Come on, stop. You have very sensitive hearing, and you also have like special powers, like kinetic powers. You could stop time, you can move things around in the air, all right? One evening, you're trying very hard to sleep at night, but you can't because you hear your next door neighbor movie star lady singing like Mm. crazy, like off the top of her lungs. So you go over and you knock on the door and you ask her politely to please keep it down. And she gets so offended that she goes back inside and starts to cry hysterically. Now the sound of her crying is even louder. Mm. What do you do?
1: Is this a drama or uh, it sounds like a screwball comedy? Um... Yeah,
0: it's it's
1: more of a yeah. What do I do? Uh, um, First of all, why is, no offense to Korea, but why is he in Korea for 400 years if he can do whatever the fuck he wants? Like, go see some other places. Um, (laughs) But um, uh, he can, what's his powers? Kinetic powers, hearing, can can he move things with his mind? Yeah, I don't know yeah um well, stop time, take a nap,
2: mm.
1: wait, sleep it out, sleep it off, wake up, mm-hmm. unstop time, she can keep crying while you go to work or or whatever it is oh, you do yeah.
0: that's yeah. smart, that's super smart, yeah, why didn't they think of this? Solution? Use
1: your powers, yeah exactly.
0: He's sitting around this power is not being put to use. Not
1: using them, just yeah. Sure. Or I don't know, you if you can move things with your mind, move some egg cartons onto the wall to soundproof her apartment or your apartment. You Does could do work? so much things. Wow. I don't. I've. I don't know. I've seen a music studio once that I've had those. I've seen
0: it. I've seen it. But I don't think it. Pro- I don't think it soundproofs. I think it just. Um... Uh, it's like
1: a echo. Thing
0: echo thing. It's an acoustics thing. Yeah, oh,
1: yeah. okay. Yeah. Don't do that. I'll see you need a lot Doesn't of air shit, it turns
0: out. Okay, but no, I, I, I agree with you. He should have used his powers in this instance. Yeah, super yeah. easy. Okay, very good. Yeah. Let's say now you're an actress named Hemi. All right, you're a different actress.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're
0: also a star, but you're not at the level of mm. your friend Songi. And she's your childhood yeah. friend. She's way more famous than you are. Okay, she gets all the lead roles, and you're always supporting cast. Okay,
2: mm-hmm. you're really
0: living under her shadow. All right.
2: Mm-hmm. One
0: day, you, your friend yi, and another guy friend from also your childhood, his name is Hee Kyung. You used to have a hu- you have a huge crush on this guy. Okay, but at the mm-hmm. dinner table in front of you, he proposes to Sohee. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, D- and then, songy yeah. rejects him.
1: <laughs> okay. What do you do? And these are my friends, but I have no idea that they were like about that one of them was about to propose to the other one.
0: It's yeah, just, no, out of the blue, they were mm. not dating. Yeah, they were never dating. He's just like literally just proposing.
1: Okay. Well, gets okay, ballsy. Um, but yeah, yeah now re- you, recon- you, I can be the rebound. You know, he just got oh. rejected. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Now he's gonna wanna, you know, he's gonna want a little love and affection from me yeah. to get mm-hmm. over his uh, rejection. It's perfect, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like I, I set it up myself. That's how.
0: Oh wow. How good
1: it is for me, actually. I'm totally okay. profiting off that. Yeah. You
0: don't you don't mind be like taking the leftovers.
1: I mean, is she is she like hot for him or is she in love with him?
0: She's like in love with him. Hmm. He, well, he, still, hasn't, he doesn't look yeah. at her in that way at
1: all. But still, you know, you get a a nice shag out of it, maybe. <laughs> um and it's better than nothing
0: yeah okay yeah and
1: then you think about it every time you masturbate for the <laughs> rest of your life
0: <laughs> okay just bone him once and then from that on, you just record it in your memory and from that point yeah. on you just use it as a yeah. mental s- stimulation too okay. if he
1: falls yeah. in love with me you know good if he doesn't i'll always have that one night
0: do you think that's how it works though you have sex with a guy who's not interested in you and he ends up falling in love with you
1: um i mean me specifically no i'm not good enough at sex (laughs) for that to happen but who knows it could happen to other people i yeah i have fallen in love with someone after the first sex but it actually had nothing to do with the sex it had nothing to do with the sex it just happened there just happened to be sex involved so yeah
0: you just became more physically connected and it became this deeper thing for you more meaningful
1: I guess. Yeah,
0: let's say uh, you're Songhee, the, the actress lady. Okay. The,
2: mm-hmm. the
0: stuck up diva one. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: At this point, you and your neighbor, uh, alien person, Minjun, you guys like each other. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But there is a rival actress, different chick, not Himi, mm-hmm. the child, different lady. Her mm-hmm. name's Yuda. She used to pick on you all the time. You guys used to get into huge fights, okay? Like, she was also a diva, but she just didn't have the chops, like, super envious, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Terrible, terrible relationship. She was recently found dead. <laughs> and people are unfairly accusing Minjun as the killer.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: First of all, is everybody in Korea an actress? There's a lot of actresses (laughs) in this plot. (laughs) It's like the one profession in all of Korea, it sounds like. Um, It's either you're an alien or you're an actress. Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) um, So I'm being accused of murder.
0: No, your boyfriend, your alien. Oh, my boyfriend boyfriend is
1: the alien boyfriend is being accused of murder. murder. Yeah. Yeah. Well,. I mean he probably did it. He's an alien. <laughs> he has special powers. He can't die, apparently. If I if I were that, I would first of all travel as we've established and also kill yeah. people cuz I can get away with it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um yeah. so, so what well, I, I mean what I would do is just not get on his bad side cuz it's clear, you know. It's going to he might fuck some shit up. Um
2: yeah. You, yeah. And then
1: I'd, uh, I guess I'd help him uh, cover it up.
0: Mm, I'm a, wow, very loyal.
1: I'm, yeah. a, I'm a, diva movie star actress. I can't, I can't like risk my career.
0: I, it's more about your reputation rather than his yeah. saved Got it. Very yeah, diva. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And then we can become a, a crime couple. Yeah. Bonnie and <laughs> Clyde. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Alien Korean and actress. Slash yes. aliens. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Fun. Okay. Fun times ahead. Very good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Last last question. Let's say you're the diva actress Yi again. Okay. Your alien boyfriend Minjun says he's being called back to his planet. All right. Mm. Like you guys have been dating. Mm. And now he's like, mm. oh, my planet is calling me. So I need to... I'm gonna just disappear like that. When they call me, they just I vanish and I'm I'm there. Okay, it's like teleports over there. Okay, he doesn't know when he will be returning to Earth to see her Mm -hmm. again, but he promises that he will. Right? He says that Mm -hmm. that's how it's gonna always be throughout the rest of your relationship. While you guys are just hanging out together, just like watching TV or like getting chicken whatever he'll just suddenly like vanish because he gets called back to his planet and he'll just vanish and and there's no telling when he's gonna be back that's gonna be a relationship Hmm. what do you do
1: perfect i love it this is (laughs) the best relationship i've ever had was with a guy who was only who was only in town like every two weekends (laughs) <laughs> wow. and it was perfect it was ideal i love it um yeah you get to do i get to like, sleep alone in my bed without somebody who's hot and snoring next to me and then you know once every once every blue moon um yeah. you know they show up and we have a good time and then they fuck off again i love yeah. it perfect yeah wow. why is why are they why are they calling him back uh on his planet
0: the reason why i i don't know is it's an arbitrary reason i'm sure but like Mm. he was in in korea for like 400 years because like there was a mission there and you know Mm -hmm. i guess his mission achieved i have no idea what the fuck his mission was i don't think it's ever Um, it's not
1: like it's not like korea is like um suddenly you know without problems he didn't seem to do anything that important (laughs)
0: didn't solve anything all the wars and occupations they all happened yeah. you know yeah it's uh none of it was stopped i have no idea why and um yeah yeah mm. it's a it's a bonkers it's funny though i think it's a genuinely hilarious show it's very camp it's fucking ridiculous mm. and the actress mm. like she's so funny like she is yeah she's so like as a person as an actress she's so gorgeous she looks so elegant and like she's to model you know she's like considered one of the hottest you know actors mm. in korea but she's so comically like bizarre in this show and it's fucking entertaining and um yeah i i got it that's fun out. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah it's kind of an old it- show it's like eight years old now
1: okay how many seasons are there
0: there's just one. Most most okay. Korean shows. There's just okay. one season. I think like sixteen uh, episodes or twenty. I don't know. But
1: that sounds achievable. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you ever want to watch something fucking camp, this this is a good one. Okay.
2: Mm, yeah.
0: That does it for the flashcard cool. questions. Thank you, Tobias. Thank you. Welcome to K Drama School. I'm your host Grace Jung, and class is now in session. theater uh, for the tomorrow show with ron lynch on august 5th that's a friday the show starts at midnight so it's technically saturday but it is friday night so yeah please find me there for the tomorrow show which is one of the longest running comedy variety shows um, in la it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a fun time so please stop by it should be great Today I'm going to be talking about the show My Love from the Star, which stars some huge actors, Chun Ji-hyun, okay, mega Hallyu actress, also Kim Soo-hyun, right? This is a fantasy rom-com K-drama. It is written by writer Pak Ji-eun, and Pak Ji-eun is well-known for several very big hits. She is perhaps most well known for her most recent show Crash Landing on You starring Hyun Bin and Sun Ye-jin, right? She also wrote The Legend of the Blue Sea, which sort of came after My Love from the Star, also starring Uh Chun Ji-hyun. She also wrote The Producers, which stars Kim Soo-hyun, Cha Tae-hyun, and IU. I really love My Love from the Star because not only is it camp and humor driven, but Chun uh, ji performance as a comedic actress is really remarkable. But she's also very grounded, like emotionally, I could tell, right? So, Chun ji is a really great performer. Right after uh, My Love from the Star was a big hit, like a year later, Goblin became a huge hit. So, yeah, Korean drama is sort of melding like the historical drama, um, time travel element. Or reincarnation elements sort of fusing these these worlds with the fantasy thing it's definitely been a trend and i think they're still trying to do it but um to less of a success i feel like because they definitely tried it with the king eternal monarch and it just failed miserably today i'll be talking to actor steve park he is a korean american actor he is uh kind of a veteran Korean American actor. I would say he's a big figure in the Asian American community for sure. He was in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing in 1989. He was also in A Serious Man, uh, directed by the Coen Brothers. He was also in Fargo, directed by the Coen Brothers. When I was watching The French Dispatch in theaters, uh, the latest Wes Anderson movie, I was pleasantly surprised to find Steve Park in that film, because his role isn't uh comedic per se even though i would say steve park always brings some comedic commitment to all of his performances um but yeah he plays a very different kind of character in that film and he is collaborating with wes anderson again in asteroid city which is currently a post-production it should be out either i believe next year or the year after in any case he and wes anderson um, have been collaborating increasingly. So um, yeah, I really admire Steve Park's work as an actor. He was also an in, in living color and you know, he has this whole like history working in stand-up comedy, but also sketch comedy. He is a remarkable performer. This was such a pleasure and it was such an honor. What a treat. Let's talk to Steve Park. How are you?
3: I'm good. Oh, we're gonna re- record right away. All right.
0: is that okay yeah great thanks for doing this sure how are you i'm doing good thank you doing very good um i was like i mean i've always been a fan of your work i mean you're kind of a a a hero figure to a lot of korean americans i'm sure you're aware of this but um yeah i was like wait he lived in upstate new york which is so funny because yeah. yeah. I I lived in uh, Rockland County, New York. Oh wow! Yeah, um,
3: yeah. My parents have a place in Airmont. Do you know Airmont? Suffer Suffer. Oh, Suffer, no.
0: Suffern. Oh, Yeah, Suffern. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. I think Suffern wow. and Airmont are interchangeable. I don't know, oh, but they're in the same. Yeah, they're the same place.
0: How did your parents end up there?
3: Well, they actually are moving there. They have a a separate place there. Uh-huh. Um, and we're in the process. My sister and I are in the process of moving them from their home, uh-huh. which I grew up in, up uh-huh. in Vestal, New York, by Binghamton. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And
3: uh, yeah, it's it's time to uh, that we're we're doing the big transition, the big parental, you know, trying to get them closer to where we are. I'm up oh, in the right. Hudson Valley.
0: My sister mm-hmm.
3: yeah. is in uh, Westchester. Nice. And uh, yeah, so we're we're in that process now. <laughs>
0: How did, how did your parents end up in upstate New York though?
3: Well, my dad was a, a doctor. He, um, he first landed in Brooklyn and oh. um, I, that's where I was born in Clinton Hill. And then um, when I was about eight, we moved to Manhattan and lived across from Sloan Kettering where my father was doing cancer surgery and he was doing a residency there. Right. But the city was not, he was never a city person. So he wanted mm-hmm. to go up you know, more into the country Um, So the first place we landed was called Waverly, New York, which Mm -hmm. is right next to Sarah, Pennsylvania. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
3: we lived there for a couple of years and then landed in um, Vestal, which is Binghamton. And then, yeah, and then that's where they've been. And it's just small, you know, he had his own practice. He had, he became, you know, with a general surgeon. And uh, that was more his, you know, he's a fly fisherman. He's, you know, likes to do quiet things
0: got it got it got it yeah yeah i think like uh koreans um, have this like agrarian like nostalgic sort of heart like my parents mm. um also like garden a lot cuz both of them come mm. from like farmer backgrounds so Mm-mm. gardening yeah. all right. of that yeah no my both
3: po- mm-hmm. my mother loves to garden
0: yeah yeah Very it's much like so. it's just like in their it's in their hands in their bones like they can't yeah. not do it you know right they, they right. sort of have it all the time interesting so your father was a doctor yeah. fascinating is yeah. your sister also in entertainment or is she like just? no she's a business
3: she's in business a business right person on.
0: Yeah. right on fascinating
3: at one point she was a uh, president of levi's in korea oh wow yeah so at the time that was kind of a big deal yeah she was like a minor celebrity there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: That's cool. Did you ever, um, work in Korea?
3: No, I've been to Korea a couple of times. Last time was in the nineties before cell oh. phone. And wow. then before that was in the seventies when I was a teenager. Oh
0: my god. So
3: my experience with Korea is so limited. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you, do you have any desire to work? Oh in yeah. Korea? I
3: was actually, um, um, possibly going to work on a Korean movie, my first Korean movie in Korea. And then <laughs> that, fell apart because mm-hmm. one of the, uh, actors got cancer
0: oh my and gosh. so they had
3: to, um, so anyway, everything kind of fell apart.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if the intention is there, I'm sure another opportunity like that will come to you. Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: I just want to say, by the way, that, um, you're Dr. Grace Jung, like you're like this kind of Korean, uh, like the ideal, uh, daughter in terms of your, it, you know, like you're pursuing, like mm-hmm. I, I admire that your pursuit of your dream, what you want to do, but also, yeah. you know, you are educated up the wazoo, so that's all good.
0: Thanks. <laughs> I mean, you would think, right? But you know, like Korean parents are this, um, they're an infinite abyss of uh, dissatisfaction. I feel like oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> like I, I never yeah. like they. I'm working on a book right now based on my podcast called Kid Drama School, and I found myself writing about the time when I told them, like, I was going to college. I was at Hunter College at the time, and then I was going to transfer to Pace. And going from public school to a private school, like the tuition difference is like drastic. Mm -hmm. And they were like, "You need to justify why you need to transfer." And I was like, "Well, you know, public school just doesn't give you the proper attention. This private institution Mm -hmm. does." And they're like, "What did you want? What do you want to study?" And I was like, "I want to study philosophy." and they found it to be hilarious like they were laughing hysterically and they're like right. what are you going to what are you going to do with a philosophy degree what you you're going to be a philosopher and i was like i mean why not you know and also maybe maybe law like a lot of people go to law school and they were hysterically laughing again like hmm. my parents seem to know me in a way like not know me but know me very well because hmm. I, I tried to study for the LSAT and the LSAT just ch- kind of changes your way of thinking. Like it has its mm. own logic. And I oh, was like, really? I-, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, it changed mm. like, cause LSAT is known for having multiple choices, but all of these answers could potentially be an answer, mm. but there can only be one answer. That's what law does, right? Right. Changes your way of thinking. And I was like, I can't do this, you know? So uh, in a way they knew me, but they also, they didn't have high expectations of me as you would think. Like, I think Korean parents are known for having extremely high expectations of their children, no matter what, you know, no matter what the child is willing to do. Um, And uh, with them, it, it just that, yeah, that pressure wasn't there really. Honestly, if if I'm honest, yeah.
3: Well, you must have been pressuring yourself because you obviously are very high achieving.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's what it was. It was self-pressure. It was self-induced pressure. Yeah, your own internal parent. My own internal parent, exactly. And, um, you know, like, I don't know. After I finished my degree, I was like, I don't think this had served me at all. Right Mm -hmm. now, I don't really apply my degree at all. Like, it's you don't like think a, this
3: is applying your degree?
0: Not really. Right I mean, really? yes and no. Like, I think people pay attention to somebody who has a degree. You know, they're like, "Oh, she has a degree. She must know what she's talking about." You know, I think I think it's like that. You know, um, a university that is like prestigious, right? It's like, "Oh, they they're from Yale. They're from MIT." It's like, it's like. What this, was your
3: reason for thing. getting a PhD in? Um...
0: Yeah. I was um, I was working at Kino Lorber, that film distribution company in New York. Mm-hmm. I was working there for a few years. But it was a really soul-crushing job, and I didn't want to work in an office anymore. Mm-hmm. And I spent, like, a year just applying to schools. And, you know, I just I wanted to get a break, like, just not work. That's why mm-hmm. I went to school. Mm-hmm. For me, studying and writing a paper... Publishing a paper, going to conferences, all of that came super easy to me yeah. because work was like a nightmare. I was like, as long yeah. as I'm not doing that,
2: mm-hmm. this
0: is no problem. Mm-hmm. It's studying, being an academic is not difficult at all. In fact, it's very similar in a lot of ways to like Hollywood, you know, like um, you have to please an institution, you have to please yeah. an organization and those yeah. authorities. And the people who are controlling academic institutions and the people who are controlling major Hollywood corporations are identical. They're all the same, you know. And I don't know how I came across your articles published in the 90s. I have no idea how I found myself there, but there's like a a web archive with uh, publications um, based on certain themes. And I just found them very randomly. Wow. yeah, 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 but they're they're there, they're archived, and they're there under and, what's
3: the umbrella? What's the uh, website? It's
0: it's like I'll send it to you. It's like web dot archive. It's some it's some broad archival database of not
3: part of a university or anything.
0: No, <clears> it's a public <throat> it's a public archive. Oh wow! And um, I was like, this is a really I don't know who did it, but it's a it's a great archive, and I I was just reading two of your articles published in it, one was published in 94, the other, other was published in 97. And the one that was published 97, where you talk about struggling for dignity, and your mission statement for Hollywood, right, and some of the things that you say in there, like, how uh, there's a rise in hate crimes against Asian Americans in America. And it's a racially divided nation. I mean, you wrote this in 1997. And are, yeah. it resonated so hardcore with present day now, you yeah, know, like, especially sure. last year, like last year, when all these hate crimes, especially against Asian American elderly were happening, like, what were you, yeah. what was going through your mind?
3: Oh, yeah. I, I just, I still have a hard time fathoming the the desire to um, attack the most vulnerable, the oldest people, like that is so disturbing to me that whatever that human impulse is, um, like the, the, the one, the most shocking video was the one in Midtown of the old woman and the two of bo- the two doormen, just closing the door mm-hmm. that blew my mind, that human beings that were big, they, these were big guys who no. just like stepped away, mm-hmm. uh, couldn't figure, couldn't, couldn't understand that mm-hmm. like, behavior
0: okay yeah
3: um i don't know did that answer your question
0: yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah yeah, because really
3: shocking but yeah um, yeah yeah yeah, i mean the mission statement was really um it's like the eternal call of uh wake up wake Mm -hmm. wake it's just a wake up call like wake up to uh all of the um Delusions, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know if you know anything about Buddhism, like terminology, mm-hmm. but samsara, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. all samsara. It's all delusion. Uh, people are just operating under so many delusions and identification yes. with the separate self. And, uh-huh. and, uh, it's now like gotten to such a degree where it's like, um, our culture is having a nervous breakdown. Like that's what it feels like.
0: <clears throat> Were you raised Buddhist?
3: No, I was, uh, you know, we went to a Presbyterian church when I was young, Korean Presbyterian. Um, Mm -hmm. And then when we moved, um, my best friend, when we moved to Waverly, actually, his dad was a Presbyterian minister. So we went Mm -hmm. there for a little bit. But then, you know, my parents were not very religious. My father was not keen on a lot of like um, Christian proselytizing. He had a strong aversion to that, actually. Um, yeah
0: yeah so it was more for like, like a the, community thing for your parents and yeah that?
3: pretty much and then it didn't wasn't you know and my interest my own spiritual journey started <clears throat> pretty uh you know when i i was started karate i started learning karate from a japanese master in who had a, a dojo in in vestal yeah. and he introduced me to zen buddhism
2: mm-hmm. and that was
3: the beginning of my whole search and then around college I had uh, this breakdown my body like I was under so much I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and oh, <clears throat> it all manifested yeah. in my body and I had this arthritic condition that pretty much paralyzed me
2: oh my and gosh. I went in the
3: hospital for a little while but that kind of deepened my whole um like spiritual search and yeah uh so I've done a lot of a lot of exploration, a lot of, you know, I went to, I studied with uh, Don Miguel Ruiz for a little bit, who wrote the mm. Four Agreements, yeah,
2: and traveled book.
3: to Machu Picchu with him, and,
2: oh, wow. you know, done
3: meditation retreats, did the 10 day papajan retreats. So that's when my meditation really got much deeper. And, wow. um, yeah, and I've just been very much, uh, you know, like a fascinated by, um, any kind of spiritual teaching or spiritual teachers, like I'm always like, Oh, what's this person saying? And if it resonates Mm -hmm. with me or not, you know, so, yeah, things around non duality. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on forever about this.
0: When you were when you were in the hospital, and you were in this pain and this sort of like, uh, immobile state, like, what was sort of like the the cracking open period for you like realization wise or enlightenment wise that was starting to help you regain control of your body
3: um well or like was it, it was a, it was much more of a it wasn't like a one kind of instant but i'll tell you that school was a huge going to college like i had a kind of an opposite uh journey than you like i didn't like gravitate to school or I wasn't like a, <clears throat> a really brilliant student or anything, but I went to college to Boston university, uh, my first two years, um, kind of unofficially pre-med cause mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with my life. So right. I was, you know, mm-hmm. biology, chemistry, I was yeah. failing everything. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> also I was living with, uh, in this dorm with the football team, dealing with racism. Uh, you know, and being in Boston, you know, and and, uh, um, that's when the arthritis started happening. And then uh, I was on academic probation, transferred to SUNY Binghamton, which is right next to where I live. Uh Somehow got into that school.
0: Yeah, it's a great school. uh,
3: (laughs) It is a great school. But again, I was like starting with a full load of classes. And then I ended up with one. So I would be like full time. And then by mid September, I would have to drop classes because I was failing them. And
0: so it was the demand. It was this high demand. This well, it was order. like I didn't yeah. know what I
3: was doing. Like, the, it was the idea that I was supposed to go to college. I was always supposed to go to college, yes. even though I had no idea yes. why, what, what I was doing. And, yes. Um, yes. and my girlfriend at the time, because uh, I was going to drop out, and she said, before you drop out, just take one uh, semester of classes. And the only criteria is just that they're fun,
0: which yeah. was such
3: an alien concept to me. Yeah. So I signed up for an acting class. I signed up for yeah. a mind class, a body <gasps> movement and a voice Amazing. class. Amazing. And that was all like, it, it didn't feel like I was in school. And, yeah. um, and then I ended up getting my degree in theater. And then yeah. I, right after I graduated, it took me two extra years to get a degree. And then the first thing I did after I graduated was I went to New York City and then I started doing stand-up.
0: Yeah,
3: wait. Started. That is
0: wild to me that you went from like theater to stand up. What was yeah. that? Why why stand up? What what was that choice? Uh, well, because I had
3: this identity as a class clown. I was a class Got clown. It. Got it. And I was making like super eight movies as a kid and I was a very kind of performative and I liked things that were funny. You know, I liked Got comedians. Um, uh-huh. uh-huh. So I was very much identified with that and I thought that that to me at the time made the most sense to begin my career.
2: Yeah. Like I'm
3: thinking about um, all the kind of performers that I admired. A lot of them were doing standup. And yeah. so I, I just felt like I could do it. Mm. And uh, I did yeah. have this act that I was, you know, doing open mic nights. And mm-hmm. uh, it was all kind of like playing off of uh, Asian stereotypes. And sure. I did this whole bit on Bruce Lee. I had a boombox and I was doing... I, I can't. I don't remember it like specifically my act, but yeah. it was enough that it got me on. Like that got me on a Living Color.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. in addition to like, because the first the first callback to for that for in Living Color was at the Laugh Factory, oh, which wow. kind of like took me by surprise. Yeah. And there was about twenty of us, including Margaret Cho and oh wow. um, a bunch of other people. And then, like, then the second callback was again at the the um, Laugh Factory. And I just remember, it's like, I need more material. I was just writing, like, just mm-hmm. everything that came to me. And anyway, that's kind yeah. of what led me to um, In Living Color. And I could have had, you know, being on a Living Color, I could have had this amazing stand-up yeah. thing happening.
2: But I, I, read I about couldn't it. do it, yeah.
3: I, yeah. I couldn't do it. I, I just didn't, it wasn't, because ultimately I, I realized, like, this is not my it's not my um genre it's not my it's not Mm. i can't get on stage and go hey like i've seen your stuff and you're fantastic and you're very ballsy and you're really very powerful (laughs) on stage and not that i can't do that but it's not i feel like stand-up comedians have a particular kind of personality
2: yeah
3: like like bobby lee is a good example like uh, bobby lee to me is hilarious oh and he's he's too twisted to do anything else
2: <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, like i yeah. can't
3: imagine him or his brother steve like doing anything i don't know what they're doing oh yeah so and also the lifestyle you know uh-huh. like just going to clubs every night and
0: yeah yeah um I, re- I remember reading about that like after uh in living color like all these clubs were calling your agent like asking to book you and i was like that is the dream that is the dream and yeah. you're like can't do it you know
3: yeah. it's not me it's not me
0: but that's I think that's how you sort of navigate it's like you find what's you as they come mm-hmm. to you. And yeah. I look at I look at your filmography and you've worked with like I mean you're you're kind of highbrow you know even yeah. like even miming you know miming is like i mean that's clowning it's mm. a genre of clowning clowning is highbrow to me oh yeah it's no like, i love
3: clowning yeah Clowning's it is amazing. so
0: highbrow i took a clown class very recently at la school of comedy with david bridal it was oh just david bridal uh-huh. yeah,
2: cool. yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah. the british yeah, yeah. guy so it oh, was british just a
3: guy
0: yeah no, he's i'm thinking british. of a different
3: david i'm thinking of a different oh, david. okay
0: he he's uh he's trained with like golier and like you know he has he's got pedigree european Mm. pedigree let's say Mm. and uh it was like a course called the tragic clown at the time Mm. i was just dealing with like wall against wall against wall with like everything i've achieved nothing was landing so i just took this workshop is like when you're stuck in absolute tragedy rigidity what are you gonna do figure out a game figure Mm. out fun and it was just mm. like a perfect workshop for me. After I took that workshop, I saw my stand-up act actually evolving. It, mm. it develops a lot of trust, like self-trust in you. But mm-hmm. I think that's like your, your soul sort of knows like what's yeah. for you. And sure. it strives yeah. for highbrow, like highbrow mm. shit. Like, you know, mm. like Spike Lee, you know, like, mm you even worked with Miranda July I love <laughs> Miranda July you know it's like, so
3: funny because I ended up getting cut out of that movie uh, really
0: that's too yeah. bad
3: well it was like you saw like you saw you could see my back in one scene but um oh. yeah that, but I ended up the guy who played my son Ethan yeah. Ethan Lee yeah. in that uh, I ended up working with him again uh with Wes Anderson last yes. uh that fall so I yes
0: that's another thing you're working with yeah. Wes Anderson like this is your second role with like second time yeah. working with Wes Anderson, right? Like another yeah. highbrow dude, you know, like yeah. like pedigree awards, like can flavor, you know? Like that's sort of your yeah. thing, but you know, you come from this like background of comedy and television, which is so oh even the Cohen, like the Cohen brothers, you know? Like um but yeah, it seems like your soul knows like where you belong, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, I was just like, yeah, your career to me is so unique and interesting. Mm. It has mm. this um, pattern that I don't see elsewhere, you know.
3: Also, I think I came came up at a, a time when it's such a different time now than when I started, yeah. you know, in just terms of what the business was like. Yeah, so yeah. So I, I uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't know if I was going to have a career. I didn't know what was going to happen.
2: Sure. Um,
3: and the few Asian, I knew every Asian American actor in the country. Really, I mean, cause yeah. I lived so I knew everybody. We all knew right. each other we right. were a very small community of people, For sure. and it was more competitive in this weird way, you know, because mm-hmm. there was always like, if you're going to be the Asian on the show, there can only, you know, it was like that mentality. So yeah. that was the that was the uh, the culture at the time uh, among Asian American
0: yeah. actors. How do you how do you navigate something like that though this uh, mentality of lack like okay for instance um, in the nineteen ninety four article that you published you talk about how you were um, you were not brought back for the sec for the next season of in living color basically you were fired and then the press said oh that you know steve park is going to go on to do movies now that's going to be his focus but really it was because of uh Sundaju's probation sentence and that offended the showrunner and you were the only korean american that what
3: this article says
0: yeah you were kind of saying did like, i write this it,
3: i think so i don't think i came to that conclusion i it's not like i'm coming to any
0: conclusion. Oh, no, not... no, no. It was more like how you were feeling. It was projections mm-hmm. of how you were feeling. Like yeah. uh, this soon your probation was announced and then the showrunner was like, like really disturbed by it. But you felt like everybody was looking at you in that room. Well, let me just yeah. kind of, my
3: memory of it uh, yeah, was yeah. we were in rehearsal and Keenan. Yeah. Yeah. Came in. And I think that was when, um, uh, sunjadu shot latasha harland i think that was the news at the time it wasn't oh, okay i don't remember it being about her what was it what, what was the verdict she said it was, she got it a, was,
0: probation a probation sentence rather than going right? to prison or, yeah. Or anything. yeah yeah
3: maybe yeah i mean maybe my memory is off but yeah, yeah it was this kind of feeling like david put his hand on my you know my back yeah. or whatever so it was like yeah this weird uncomfortable feeling right and, right um When i wasn't asked back it was after the the la you know uprising Mm
2: -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh
3: at that time my thinking is like if i was keenan i would want me to be on the show at this time because that's how my mind thinks right but um i found that and i found this with spike like among you know black celebrities who who are in positions of power they didn't they weren't feeling solidarity with the asian american community at that point you know there was no feeling of like we're going to lift them up even though I got cast on the show which was wonderful you know so but I'm grateful to all of them but I just feel like their consciousness was not aligned with where where I felt like was kind of the yeah you know you're talking about highbrow it's like what is the um
0: the higher vibration the highest
3: yeah the highest vibration what is the high road here and who's going to walk it you know
0: but I think you know there is this sort of reaction to like what white media does. Oftentimes it pits races against one another through the white narrative. That was going on a lot during the racial uprisings during the early nineties. And after the Sundaju probation, after after I read this article, I was just thinking like, wait, how come he gets like Steve Park, like a Korean American gets fired because of some other Korean American woman, and they don't know each other, they're not related it's just they just so happen to be korean-american that that happens but think of all the white officers who got off you know from sentences or prison sentences whatever for murder for murder of black and brown bodies but no white person ever gets fired from a tv show or a movie set like nobody bats an eye about that and this is sort of like in in continuation or, or tied to this notion of the lack like the lack of, you know, there's only one role for this Asian character. There's only one role for this Asian person, right? That lack mentality. Like, how do you navigate having this, this sort of lack, sort of this one space that's created by white Hollywood Mm. and there are multiple Asian Americans competing for that role, right? Like, how do you navigate that or compromise that with this, wanting or this desire of solidarity or alliance with your fellow asian americans i mean i don't know if that makes sense but
3: well you know i mean i was part of pan-asian that was kind of where i started in terms of my acting career and uh, that Mm -hmm. was my first experience having asian-american friends Mm -hmm. so that was a big awakening for me just being around them but you know among especially the asian-american men most of them that I knew had a big chip on their shoulder, of course, you know, most of them had something to prove. And so there was a lot of that going on. I think that was, um, uh, (laughs) you know, just trying to prove yourself as this Asian uh, actor trying to, um, you know, fight against this uh, emasculating uh, um, you know, dialogue of the culture, you know, that's constantly being put out there. So there was a lot of that kind of, over rea- um reactionary kind of uh feeling among especially asian american men
2: sure sure
3: um they're actors at the time so
2: yeah,
3: yeah it was you know it's it's mm-hmm. uh and and there wasn't um uh asian black solidarity in that regard either you know so yeah um, But i don't want to say that that was the reason it's always been a big question because actually when i met my wife kelly who Mm -hmm. was on the show uh, i I met her again like doing a play together and then soon after that we got married and uh, but when i when i saw her again that was my first interaction after um in living color that Mm -hmm. i had with anybody associated with that show so there was this kind of big downloading that we did and mm-hmm. she told me that when they came back the next season, everybody was yeah. like, we're Steve. And yeah. Keenan said that my manager at the time was playing hardball. And because he was really fighting a lot with the Fox network at the time.
2: Uh-huh. And
3: it was kind of the beginning of the end of the of the show. That uh-huh. he it was kind of, his attitude is like, you know, fuck it. Like, it didn't matter. Oh, so boy, that, was, that I- was what Kelly told me. And she was right. like, "Well, why would Keenan lie about that?" Yeah, and also all the things that the press put out is just publicity. That's what the oh he's gone off to pursue an acting career. You know, yeah, all yeah. of that is not nothing. I said it's just stuff that they put out there. Sure, you know, it's not it's not based on anything except yeah, protecting yeah. protecting whatever they're trying to protect.
2: Right, right, but right.
3: um, um you know, like they, they put out there that I was pursuing other things. Uh What, what the producer told me when she called me was that they were looking for a performer who had more of a stable of characters, you know, somebody who like could do a bunch (laughs) of, like, that's what they told me. So all of it was just like, you know, nobody's going to go because you're Korean that we're not, you know, not that, and I'm not saying that that's the truth. I'm just saying, you know, that was a, I, I was left with this unresolved feeling for all of these years until I saw, until I met Kelly again. Right. And then we got to talk all of that out and now I was able to let it go because yeah. it doesn't matter at that point what exactly. happened. I just yeah. let it go. But right. I was able to let that experience, put that experience behind me, but it took me, that really screwed me up for a while. Yeah,
0: I'm sure. Because I mean, like actors already have such a tough job, you know, It's like they got to please somebody so they could get the job. Yeah, and And, you're also,
3: like, in my position, I was always feeling like I was carrying the weight of the race, you know, like everything I did was being, like, hyper. And so I was criticized quite often, you know.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, you can't satisfy, you know, everybody, right? But it's like, but, like, that was one of the lofty, ambitious goals you had at the time, right? Mm. Because, you know, your heart was in the right place. You wanted to do right by everybody you know mm-hmm. yourself, your people, the industry right but oftentimes like what they want co- contradicts or conflicts with with these other parties and you're stuck in the middle of it and um yeah. I-, I sensed a lot of anguish and pain in that article genuinely it was yeah. coming through and um yeah also like you know being Asian American being a Korean American man in Hollywood you know like my whole entire master's and doctoral degree was dedicated to Asian masculinity. That's what I was writing about. And yeah, Mm. it's like, it's, it's, it's incessant. It's incessant. The one big change that's happening though, and it's happening through uh, K-dramas and K-pop to some extent is, um, Korean masculinity is highly fetishized today. Mm. Extremely fetishized, like off the wall. There's like, um, there's a, another scholar who wrote, like, about hostels in Seoul where, like, white Americans or Canadian girls, like, young women in their mm. 20s will mm. come, will go to Korea to, like, as sex tourists, basically. Mm. to Because they watch so many K-dramas yeah. and watch so many K-pop videos. They're, like, in love with these Korean men. Fantasies, really. Projected yeah. fantasies, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're not like that. <laughs> they yeah. go to Korea... Yeah and think that they're gonna find this korean man who is just like k-dramas and they're of course they're nothing like that right yeah. but yeah it's like the industry is 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 creating another constructing another masculinity uh, asian masculinity through korean right. entertainment that's happening that's really fascinating but yeah. um yeah it's like it, it's it's really uh uh it's an endless cycle of pain. I feel like, you know, when you were talking about um, in the 97 article about a veteran actor, James Hong on the set of friends and how a first AD like was like, Oh, where's that guy? Like the Oriental guy, you know, and how you felt like you were the only person who heard this and noted this and everybody else was sort of like going about their work, their job, business as usual. But, you know, this was like this painful note that you made in your memory. Like, I'm sure you've encountered numerous instances like this throughout your career. Um, and I have as well. Like, I mean, I I had a, you know, career, a film career in New York. But when I moved to L.A. and I was going back to school, I decided to intern for Comedy Bang Bang um, TV show. And uh, the first A.D. No, the second, second A.D. had us On the walkie-talkie channel, and he was saying like anti-Asian racial like sounds like like Ching Chong this and that. He was like saying that, and I was the only Asian American intern on set, so it was Mm. I knew it was directed at me, right? Mm. But it's like I feel like all AAPIs in Hollywood have stories like this, right? Mm -hmm. If and when something like that happens, right? And you're talking about like dignity in this article, what? what is a person supposed to do you know in the face of that kind of behavior
3: well are you talking about now or back then because i think the the landscape is completely different now
0: i guess now i mean well yeah i mean yeah i guess now like what 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 should be protocol really
3: uh to basically speak up i mean to to um you know, I mean, now it's kind of gone in the other direction, you know, um, in terms of like, you know, pronouns and um, like, I, I know people, my a friend of mine who teaches at USC, um, it's become kind of a minefield now for, especially for the, the teachers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now it's like, they feel like they can't, they have to be very careful about what they what they say. And you have to catch up with where everybody is in terms of, You know using the right language and and being aware of all the different oppressions and microaggressions and all of this stuff which is not part of our lexicon i don't know 20 you know 10 years Uh ago so Uh this is this is all new so now this is kind of like the extreme backlash to your question like now nobody's putting up with anything everybody's like no don't say that you know you can't say whatever whatever it is right now um it's gone to that extreme where where uh now people um are being much more careful about what they're saying and and also the acknowledgement of people of color you know like um now you're seeing people of color being hired uh in front and behind the camera everywhere i've always Mm -hmm. like it always struck me every time i went to an audition in any studio like you go inside the office space everybody was white and Mm -hmm. i don't know why like it, it always stuck out to me but it, but it was like the norm. So it seems like, okay, everybody seems okay with this, but it always stuck out to me that, that every set is, is is predominantly white and only now is that beginning to change. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely it took huge amounts of tragedy for, for Mm -hmm. us to start to go, okay, this is not something's we're yeah. all we're all practicing white supremacy here and we're not calling it that. We're not doing that. But I mean we're not we're not acknowledging it, but that's what we're practicing, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny that you're like to my question, your response is, Well, I mean, now it's like there's over policing, this PC over policing of cancel culture. That is definitely I think I find that problematic too, because you know, it's like that also is in a way a practice of white supremacy in a way you know like you can't like it's like point like I, I don't know if they say this in buddhism but if you point one finger you know you're gonna have three fingers pointed back at you kind of thing you know it's like you can't expect a different result by doing the same thing What whatever oppressive thing abuse that white supremacy has done if you try to do that back you know oftentimes like lashing out you know, calling racism in a very aggressive or hostile way, right? Um, that is 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 similarly violent. Even though it's standing on a righteous sort of stance, if it's in a enacted in a violent way, that I don't know, like destabilizes a the person, then it's not effective, right?
3: Well, I think so, also these are phases we're going through culturally. Like, oh, I don't yeah, think we're, mm-hmm. this is a forever thing.
0: Right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, but I think true. it's a
3: necessary kind of phase that
0: we're going through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. like like an anger response is almost natural to yeah. some extent, right? And it's like, what comes yeah. after that? You know, how do we deal with that? No, it's like, you know, with anger, it's almost like it's this, uh, it's an eternally hungry beast, you know? The more you feed mm-hmm. anger, there's mm-hmm. really no end to it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. for
0: sure. No, I guess so then my question is, like, how do we sort of, navigate that like you know you can acknowledge your anger and your pain you don't want to be on the too far extreme of things and you know like be brutal in terms of your calling out like where's i mean how do we toe this fine line like this balance sort of existence. well um
3: you know going back to my own um spiritual journey
2: yeah.
3: Um, you know, like one of the, the, the four agreements in Don Miguel's book uh, yeah. is uh, don't take anything personally.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Um, be impeccable with your word is uh, mm-hmm. another agreement.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but this idea of not taking anything personally
2: mm-hmm. is
3: a huge agreement. Mm-hmm. And if you take that agreement to heart and practice mm-hmm. not taking anything personally, it's hugely yeah. liberating yeah. Um, because nothing anybody does is personal. Unless you mm-hmm. are completely absorbed and identified with your ego.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So um, to me, the the answer to your question or the, the way forward is about waking up to the, who we really are, to who you mm-hmm. really are, to the truth mm-hmm. of the true self. And yeah. the true self is like one of the things in the Toltec philosophy, Don Miguel's tradition, uh-huh. is that. We, as a species, you know we're all dreaming. Yeah, the mind is dreaming all the time. Mm-hmm. and we collectively are dreaming the the dream of the the planet, the dream of mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. So we're collectively dreaming this. but um, part of the the practice of you could say the Toltec warrior is uh, like like um, somebody who's following a Buddhist teachings or even the mm-hmm. teachings of Christ is about waking up to Mm -hmm. the divinity that exists not only within you but everywhere and everything and everybody and so if you if you realize that in yourself if you see it in yourself then you're going to see it everywhere but you need to recognize it in yourself first that first of all that there is no separate self this idea of a separate self exists only in the imagination when you see through the separate self the illusory ego, excel then you see yourself in everyone, Mm -hmm. then you see that um, the world is just uh, an effect, and the effect of the cause of how you're the the world is not going this way, the world is going this way. Like we are constantly creating the world in our mind, and um, living in the world that we're projecting, because nothing actually has any inherent meaning, all the meaning is coming from us. So I think depending on your state of consciousness, you can have a very different experience walking into two, two people could be walking into the same situation. One person is full of anger and delusion and yeah. one person is awake. They're going to have very yeah. different experiences walking into the same situation. Somebody might deal with some racist comment or something and that'll trigger them. And like, it's almost like they were expecting it. And another yeah. person is like, you know, is not seeing themselves as separate from anything, you know, yeah. and then everybody feels that on a, on a, even not a conscious on an unconscious level, everybody feels your vibration, your lightness, your awakeness and responds accordingly, you know? So by you being awake, you wake everybody around you, you know, you, you have an awakening kind of energy and you Mm -hmm. facilitate everybody's awakening in your life, in your world. If Mm -hmm. you are able to truly operate from a place of wakeful uh, of awakeness.
0: Yeah. You know, you're using the term waking, wakefulness, and right now in this realm of policing PC culture, they're using the term woke or woke culture, and I don't think they realize how they're misapplying this concept mm-hmm. so radically.
3: And then also that term has been kind of tarnished too, right? I mean, yeah. that, word, that word has been completely like mangled yeah. and now it has different meanings and the right uses it against the left.
0: And, you know. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, like, in, in, in any which way, like, God concept, you know, divinity concept has been mangled for many people, right? Yeah. Although the intention was like, originally something else, you know, yeah. like people yeah. were trying to use this God and divinity concept to free people, but it was used also to oppress a lot of countries sure. and create wars and cause a uh, individual spiritual abuse and whatnot right it goes on endlessly but really it's like trying to i guess i i think it needs to stem from one i mean you were talking about like this law of attraction thing kind of like if somebody says something racist and it triggers your anger then it's like you were kind of expecting it right that's a law of attraction thing it's like um you have to be wanting peace you know, one must be wanting peace and one must always be wanting healing peace and good things. They have to be in that state, first off, if they want, I don't know, joy and peace in life.
3: Well, I would tweak, I would tweak that. I wouldn't say they would yeah, yeah. want it.
0: Yeah, they yeah, would yeah. be
3: it. They would be uh, peace.
0: Yeah. There's a the difference between
3: wanting peace and being peace. That's wanting true. peace is not peace. Right. Wanting peace, you're still in a in a place of grasping after something that you believe is not here.
0: There is some effort being, in there, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: being peace is you're being peace.
0: And mm, so you yeah. emanate
3: peace. You recognize yeah, yeah, peace yeah. is here. So it's, it's not aspirational, it's here.
0: Mm. Again, it's like it, recognition sort of like yeah, coming It's to always like it's always
3: here. Everything is always here.
0: Yeah. The illusion
3: is when, when you're in a, uh, when your consciousness is in a perception of lack, then you feel like, yeah you know, you craving, 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 mm-hmm. uh, but when you wake up and recognize past and future are just mental concepts, all that mm-hmm. really exists is now. And everything is always here. Everything yeah. is always here. There's not, there's nowhere else it could be. It's here. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're awake to the real, to the truth of, of, of reality, which is everything is here form is emptiness. Emptiness is form, you know, however you want to phrase it or look at it, then there is no more. That's, the, that's when you're released from uh, the ignorance of grasping after something that you believe is yeah. not here.
0: Yeah. And part of the reason why I had to distance myself um, somewhat from academia is uh, because of the way that we were training students, um, like how to write a paper, for instance. We tell them, you have to come up with an argument That's the first thing we tell them. That's how you write a paper. You have to write an argument. What is your argument? The second thing is, what are your stakes? Meaning, why should anybody give a shit about your article? Create some panic, you know? Mm. What's the issue here? What's the bigger issue here? They'll be like, oh, feminism, racism, you know? Mm. You know, indigenous people's rights, whatever, you know? Mm. It's like, we're training students to become all worked up they're already dealing with fear and paranoia like how you were in college i mean that's the period when the most mental breakdowns happen between age 18 and 25 Mm -hmm. that's statistically true between Mm -hmm. age 18 and 25 you have the most mental breakdowns in Mm -hmm. america and you send those frightened students who have no idea what they want from life but it's like the pressure's there you gotta know what you want to be right now and they send them to this expensive school parents screaming at them, you better make it worthwhile. Don't waste our money. Don't waste your money. You took out $200,000 in loans. You're going to this expensive school. You better make it worthwhile. Terrified students, Mm -hmm. right? Teaching them how to make arguments, how to have stakes. And then where are they gonna take all that anger? They take it to Twitter and then they take it to professors. You misgendered me. You offended me racially. You did this, you did that, right? What we also need to realize is a lot of these professors are adjunct professors. They don't get paid jack shit. Hmm. The first adjunct t- um, f- like, uh, f- contract I received, it was $1,300 a month to teach hmm. a whole entire course. Wow. That's not a livable wage at hmm. all, right? So adjunct professors are just as terrified living in fear and injustice and suffering as the students. That's the cycle that academia is sort of stuck in right now this vortex and it's like i mean if we try to offer them word on divinity that's also not gonna work why because in college that's where students learn how to tear down religion you know so i don't know i i feel like um there's really no answer to this but the one thing that i am trying to come to is like i don't know like i feel like in art there is some freedom right like you know you chose theater, movement, physical expression, you know? Like, a lot of uh, Asian parents think, like, education is the only way, like, books are the only way. I'm a good example of education not having worked out at all, at all, right? Um, there's, like, a... I was watching wait,
3: this... Wait, how how is that? How are you an example of that?
0: Like, I I have a PhD, but, you know, I have nothing to show for it. Like, I don't have a job in academia for it, you know? Like, there, is that, there are is no... That,
3: what, was that the the desired outcome is to have a job in academia? Is that why you got a PhD?
0: To have a tenured professor job is a pretty cushy job. You know, Mm. like a tenured professor gets a pretty consistent salary and Uh it's pretty low key. Of course, you have to work a lot. You do have to teach classes. You have to read a lot. You have to present papers and whatnot. But to me, that sort of comes easily. So that would have been a nice cushy job. Ultimately though, like the deeper me knew that i didn't want that job like i I was talking Mm. to somebody they're like if it wasn't for the salary would you want to be teaching i was like hell no absolutely not you know well i mean from
3: where i'm standing you know you're you're doing your stand up you have this podcast you're writing a book you've got podcasts you've got all of this stuff going on you're you're just Mm -hmm. a production machine it seems like and it seems all connected to this PhD, I don't know what, how you're perceiving it as like a waste, because I do feel like you, Mm -hmm. there's a certain kind of, um, passion (laughs) that's driving you forward. And, uh, I don't know. It's a little bit, um, maybe, you know, to call it a, a, like a waste or whatever. I, I don't I don't I'm not seeing it from where I'm standing. I don't see it yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. as a waste. No, that's true. Thank you. No, that's a good reminder. It's not a waste, but it's not like typical for a PhD to be pursuing the arts. Usually they're in an academic or educational institution of some sure. sort. Um, uh, but yeah I mean in arts like I feel like we we're applying a lot of these values that we have but in a in a somewhat more peaceful way. Me, wouldn't you say
2: mm-hmm.
3: it, Through the arts? Yeah. I mean, the arts is um, it took me a long time, I think quite a number of years to feel good about myself being an actor because I had internalized a lot of that, you know, attitudes about the business. And, uh, so I, I, I was kind of struggling with feelings of shame for a while. Mm. Um, and, uh, for being an particular, yeah like uh I, I just remember early on like just being in the dressing room and like just feeling depressed just because i felt really? like yeah because i had this idea like i i wasn't a doctor i wasn't something uh, my parents were wanting me to be like so i was comparing where i was to some ideal that you know yeah. the whole reason i was in college you know so um uh, it took me a while to to shift my thinking on that and recognize um you know that it's a noble profession and and that this actually has um uh done a lot of good uh and it took me a while to arrive at that
0: yeah no i i really admire what you do and um and you know your sort of repertoire of work i think it's really um like astounding honestly um one one uh, last question and then we can wrap up but um i recently had to deal with this not too long ago um i got a voiceover audition call somebody found me on instagram and asked me to do a voiceover audition and they wanted me to do it in a quote-unquote south korean accent and i'm sure this is something you've dealt with time and time again how do you how do you sort of deal with that? Because for me, there was like it's this, this internal conflict slightly. You know, I was like, mm. do I want to do that? You know, like, yeah.
3: Well, my view is as an actor, if, if it's true to the character, then like, I don't have an issue with dialects if it's
2: mm.
3: meant for the character, like if characters from yeah. South Korea it makes sense that they would have a dialect. I don't have the like, I'm not doing dialects. I don't have that feeling or idea. That mm-hmm. dialect somehow are it, it all depends on, on the character. If if it's meant to be funny because you speak with the dialect, then that's different. You know that's racist. Right. But if it's right. just if it's an authentic character who's immigrated from Korea, like yeah, that not that I want to do that. Like I've turned down um, like a these uh, you know Korean market owner roles. You know like that kind of stuff. Like I'm done. Doing that, like I don't mm-hmm. feel like I need to do that again. Yeah, um, I'm kind of tired of it. You know, yeah. like although I don't have any judgment about it in itself, for me, like I feel yeah. like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. You know, like so that's yeah. just me. Yeah. I don't have an attitude about the, the the role itself, but yeah, like but you know, doing um, immigrant dialects when it's called for. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, I just did a play. Asian, it was a Chinese-American uh, pl- playwright and Asian-American mm-hmm. Asian, ca- Asian cast. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we're going in, like, I'm playing, we're playing different roles. So I'm playing the uh, dad who grows up in China. So I'm speaking with the Chinese dialect. And then yeah. I'm in present time. And I think, you know, so it depends on what the project is, what the role is. Um, so dialects themselves, I have no judgment about. It's neutral, yeah. like,
0: you know. Got it. So context, yeah. seeing the whole. Okay i dig that actually I, as soon as you mentioned greengrocer one other question came up to me is it okay if i ask yeah um in the in do the right thing uh when the fires are happening and then you know you the your character has like the mop handle and you're like you know don't like you know trying to protect your business mm. there's this moment when you stick your hand out Yeah. right and then it just cuts to the next scene the next yeah. shot
3: yeah. none of, none of that was in the script. I, I, I came up with all of that on the spot.
0: So it was improvised yeah okay.
3: You know or I know why, I know why. Uh, I black you and me same. I came that was my that was what I came up with. so it wasn't in the script like the, 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 the role was a complete the, the script was like a skeleton. so oh. I, my character could have been somebody who if I just said the lines as were as they were, yeah, I would have been somebody that was just this Korean market owner that yeah. was saying, you know, that was just trying to protect the store and saying right. anything to to keep them away. But yeah. my my interpretation of the role is like, no, no, no. Like, I'm politically aware. I understand mm-hmm. that we're both oppressed. You and mm-hmm. me are the same. Like, I'm coming from that place. Is my role? I'm part Got of this community. Like, I made all those decisions as an actor. That that's who I was uh in in the role so those yeah. kind of things were not in the okay. script themselves
0: i love that i love that and that's sort of like you know sort of revealing to us now like you know your decision to be an actor is like actually it's it's really wise you know like you are politically enacting through mm. your acting yeah you know?
3: i've always tried to yeah
0: yeah yeah i love that thanks for that anecdote i i really mm. love that I, um i i love that film and um yeah, I, I, I think you, the fact that you have comedic training, like, we're, like like comedic background, love for comedy, it shows in your mm. performance and all of it. Because mm. you always commit. You commit so mm. hard. It's like you don't see anything else. You just commit to that role and that moment so intensely mm. and that's what comedians do they're great at that they're great yeah. at committing to that moment and yeah. the humor always like comes through you know right. even like that dark role that you play in fargo is like your character as tragic as he is was hilarious yeah. you know really yeah. <laughs> so um yeah i i love your work thank you so much thank for you. talking with me today thank you it was a pleasure